you know, in machine shops, we tend to ignore the small things, um, the small stops. We call them the mosquitoes, right? We tend to, you know, we just swat them and we just move on, right? We can, we can get it running again pretty quickly. So we, we, it's not really a problem and it doesn't feel like it's a problem, but what happens is these mosquitoes happen multiple times a day, multiple times a shift, and then they start to add up, right? And we, we tend to be focused on the big picture things, right? The big issues that take a lot more resources and time to solve. And a lot of times these mosquitoes, they're kind of easy to fix, you know, but we, we kind of ignore them because we can work around them. But if you just fix them, actually the savings are tremendous. This is Swarfcast, the show that helps professionals in precision machining excel in their careers. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Today's guest on the show is Jeff Rizzi, Director of Digital Enablement at Sandvik Coromant. Sandvik is renowned for its cutting tools, but the company has branched out into selling cloud-based machine monitoring software called CoroPlus Machining Insights. CoroPlus measures the overall equipment effectiveness, or OEE, of a factory's machines collecting data such as spindle speeds, axis feed rates, and spindle override. Rizzi estimates that 90% of shops who have used CoroPlus believed their OEE was significantly higher than it was in reality. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graff. P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. I am very honored to be with Jeff Rizzi, Director of Digital Enablement at Sandvik Coromant. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Industry 4.0 and collecting machine tool data. It's something we've talked about on the show in the past with a few other companies. Until I was contacted by Sandvik, I had no idea that they were in this business. I always just thought of them as one of the top cutting tool, you know, more or less razor blade companies. I'm sure they'd hate if I said it like that, but yeah, probably not the best way to describe it, but close. Yeah. No, it's very, it's a very uneducated way of describing it. From my point of view, I just hear about like more specialized cutting tool people. And then, you know, the Sandvix and some of the others, um, I'm sure the stuff you guys do is very high tech and I'm just sort of ignorant about it all. 
But today we're not talking about cutting tools. Uh, it was total news to me that Sandvik is in some totally different businesses um, that I guess in the end, they really make sense because they have all the contacts and knowledge from being in business so long um, in this world. So first, Jeff, just give me a brief overview of Coro plus machining insights. Okay. Um, probably the, the, the couple of 15, 30 seconds spiel is it's, uh, it's, it's basically a, a cloud-based solution that allows you to extract data from your machines, right? In your machine shop, you run mm-hmm. analytics against that data and you can provide really good insight into what's actually happening with your machines. And then you can access that information from literally in, in, anywhere in the world. So you have the ability to actually not only see what's going on with your machines at any given time, but you can go back and look at any aspect of how your machine has operated since it's been connected. So wow. from the point of view of the machine, from the point of view of the components you're producing and the cutting tools you're using, you have data about all of those aspects. Very interesting. All right. Well, one of the first questions that comes to my mind as a reseller of used machines, and we specialize in a lot of older stuff, mechanical stuff, cam stuff. How does it work with that? Can you say monitor a multi-spindle screw machine, a cam operated screw machine, or does this have to be a CNC machine that's that's online, um, you know, more sophisticated? Yeah, so it has to have a controller, right? So you need something that has some sort of controller on it. Um, generally, we're talking about CNC machines, right? Um, yeah. But we're able to monitor, like, like I said, almost anything with a controller. Um, so with CNC machines, fairly simple, right? We need a controller and you need an Ethernet port. So as long okay. as you have the Ethernet port, you know, you can, you can monitor it. Um, now, more simple machines, right? Simple controlled machines. Something with or something, a relay machine. Right, right. If it has the, if it has the ability, right? It, it may be something as simple as it, is it turned on or is it turned off, right? So the more sophisticated the machine, and of course, the newer the equipment, the more data points you have. Sure, sure. Um, I think that there's one machine tool company that we were talking to not long ago. I think they said that there's some, somewhere upwards of eight or 9,000 data points on a modern CNC machine today. You know, I don't know what I would do with 8,000 or 9,000 data points, but there's 30 to 100 that I would love to have access to, and we can access them. 9,000 data points. Okay, so I guess my next question would be, I wanna know what what are some of these main things you guys are learning about the machines? Um, and, and then what are some of the biggest issues are you, they're having? So yeah, first, what are you measuring? Okay, uh, that's a great question. Um, so it could be very basic things like what part is running in the machine? What tool is currently in the machine operating? Um, you know, is the machine in automatic mode? Is it in MDI mode, right? Is it executing a program? What is the, you know, spindle speed? What is the axis feed rates, load meters? Um, do you have machine alarms, um, right? So a number of these, you know, the position of your feed rate override switches, right? Feed rate, spindle override, rapid overrides. We can we can detect all of that right through through this monitoring system. 
So it gives you a really good insight of not only is my machine operating, but how is it operating, right? What are the conditions it is operating under, right? What is the part it's running again? And you know, you know what I mean? And do, do I have load on, a, on an axis? Do I have excess load on an axis? Do I have a, an alarm state, something like that? So by gathering all this, you're finding, I mean, the number one thing is the utilization of equipment in each shop, how efficient the shop is. And what are you finding as the pattern? Um, I'm sure it depends, you know, a low volume shop versus, you know, an automotive shop. They're going to need different utilizations to be successful. So what is the high end of utilization of equipment and the low end and and where does it matter yeah. the most? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as, you, as you said, you'll hear a lot of it depends, right? In, in these conversations, because, you know, it depends on machines. It depends on, on, you know, production types and things like that. So if you think about in terms of uh, mass production, right? High production automotive, where you're running one component on an automated cell, world class is up in the, you know, probably high 80% range, right, of, of OEE, right, which is, which counts not only, you know, if you think about utilization versus OEE, utilization is only counting when I'm producing. OEE is counting when I'm producing and I'm actually making a good part. Oh. Right? So you need to bring the quality in, right, because, you know. Right, well, what's the point if the parts aren't very good? Exactly. It, yeah, if you can keep your, running, your, your machine running 100% but make all scrap, that's not good for the business, of course, right? So, so we usually like to measure in terms of OEE or overall equipment effectiveness. Um, What's the highest you've ever seen? Uh, we've seen in the 80% range, right? Mid, mid 80. 80% is the highest you've ever seen? Yeah, yeah, mid 80s, something like that. Um, mid 80s. But again, that's, that's, that's high production automotive and a process that is completely dialed in, right? That they, they basically have it down. They know what's going on. The scary thing is, is what we normally hear from customers is, is they're in that 60 to 75. We hear this all the time. Then they think they're way higher, right? Well, no, they think that that's where they're at. And when you go in and actually look at it, they, we often find that they're down 30%, sub 30%. It's a, I'm it's, sure. Yeah. It's quite a shock to some customers to actually find out really where their OEE sits. How often do you guys go into a shop and they're actually close to what they actually thought they were? Rarely. Rarely. It's, 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 it's like one in a hundred. Um, yeah, it might be a little bit more than that. It might be 10%, but it's, it's pretty dramatic. It's pretty dramatic. Okay. Um, what are some of the, the main reasons why people are not, getting the the quality and the productivity that, you know, are they, is it poor tooling? Is it the wrong people on the wrong shifts? Is it various processes? What are some of the patterns you find? So, cause I want to, the listeners want to know. I won't say that there's always a, a trend, right? That every shop's going to have this situation, but there are some that are more common than others. One of the things that we find, and we found it in our own shop, um, we find that the feed rate right? The override switches are being used more than they should be. It doesn't mean that the operators are doing the wrong thing. In a lot of cases, they're doing the right thing, right? They're turning the machine down because they might have chatter or something like that, right? So they have a, they have a wrong process and then they're slowing things down. But, you know, because we also ask our operators in many cases to run more than one piece of equipment, they might 
slow it down, they'll go to do something else and the machine will continue to run, right? Slower than it was programmed to run, right? So we see that actually is, is a very common occurrence. So like they're getting an error for one thing and they have to bypass the error by doing some sort of hacky thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, they, they, you know, they know that they're getting chatter in the cut, right. And they, they slow it down again, they go to do something else and they, and not run slow for maybe the rest of the park or for the rest of the shift. It just, things are happening along the way. The other thing that we, we notice is, is, you know, in machine shops, we tend to ignore the small things. Um, the mm-hmm. small stops, we call them the mosquitoes, right? We tend to, you know, we just swat them and we just move on, right? We can, we can get it running again pretty quickly. So we, we, it's not really a problem. Particularly when you have a boss that's like, make me parts. Just make me parts, just make me parts, right? And it doesn't feel like- I don't want to hear about it. Right, right, exactly. And it doesn't feel like it's a problem, but what happens is these mosquitoes happen multiple times a day, multiple times a shift, and then they start to add up, Right. And yeah. we, we tend to be focused on the big picture things, right? The, the the big issues that take a lot more resources and time to solve. And a lot of times these mosquitoes, they're kind of easy to fix, but we, we kind of ignore them because we can work around them. But if you just fix them, actually the savings are tremendous. I mean, it's... it's so a, what would be something to fix? Like maybe the, the machine is dirty yeah, so I'll, I'll or you- the, tooling, the tooling isn't isn't very good or it needs to be changed or, you know, it, it, it could well, be. Well, well, give me a few examples. Yeah, I'll give you some, actually some real customer cases. Um, we have one situation at a customer, actually, this is in our own factory. This is the factory making cutting tools? Yes. Yep. Oh, down, okay. Down, Interesting. Down in, down in North Carolina. So we, we have a, a machine that most of our machines are, are, are robot uh, fed, right? So automation. And this particular machine has a camera on it that actually determines whether the part is loaded correctly before it'll allow it to run the cycle. So that particular machine, we run it over the weekend unmanned. Um, and in many cases, we would come in, in the, right on Monday or we'd come in overnight the next morning and it, w- it, w- it had, had stopped. It might've run for an hour, it might've run for two hours, it might've run for 10 minutes. And the problem that was happening was there was a fault on the camera but the operator could get it running real quickly, right? It even happened during the regular part of the shift, but they could just go there, fix it, reset it, boom, and it'd be back and running. You know, to them, it wasn't a problem, but when we were able to actually realize how much downtime it was really creating, it was costing us somewhere around $5,000 a week. All right, that adds up. In lost production. The only problem of it was was it was just needed a, it needed an update on the firmware. It was free. It didn't cost anything to update it, but we were working around it because we didn't see it as a problem because we could we could always get the machine running again. You'll have those types of examples, right? And, and it happens all the time. Um, we have we have another customer that. <laughs> They were analyzing their cycle times on this component, and they noticed that. What were they? What kind of machine were they? This using? was a. I think it was a Mazak machine. I think it was like a Mazak vertical machining center. Okay. Um, so sometimes the component normally it, the average was about 15 minute cycle time. I'm just using rough numbers, but sometimes the part would take 20 minutes. Sometimes it would take 35 minutes. Sometimes it would be back at 18 minutes and they couldn't figure out this weird pattern of cycle times. 
So the machining insight didn't solve the problem, but it pointed out that there's something going on on this machine, on this component. So what right. they found out, so they went out there they, to investigate. What they found out is that this, this program had, a, had a, a program stop in it that didn't do anything. When, when it got to the program stop, the operator was just instructed to press the button and it started up again. There was no purpose for this program stop to be in the, in the program. So if they were at the machine when it stopped, they just immediately press it. If they're running another machine, it waited until they got back to press the button. The assumption is, is that the program stop was put in when they were troubleshooting, right? When they were doing the first part, right? When they were running off the first part and nobody ever took it out. Interesting. And operators never, no, nobody ever, nobody put two and two together that they should have removed it. But when they went and looked at the time they lost, it was thousands of dollars of, of machine time because the machine should have just been operating. It should have never been there, but it was there, <laughs> you know, and they found it right from the patterns of cycle time analysis on this component. Wow. Yeah. How often is it human error versus poor equipment? Um, I suppose it really does all come down to human error in the end, right? If equipment isn't treated correctly, <clears throat> I mean, and obviously some machine tools are, are going to be more reliable than others. But I'm figuring it, most things, at least out of the box, they probably work pretty well. Um, so is it mostly operator error, you know, as the origin of all these things? So human error probably does play a lot of it into it, but I wouldn't always yeah. say it's operator error. I think we blame our operators for a lot more downtime than they should be blamed for. Right. So the pe it's the people on top that are supporting right all of the things that are supporting right you know there's no material right i have a cam issue right there's a programming issue i've broken a tool there's a machine failure right or something like that we find right. actually that which is why we we think that most operators even though they start off thinking about this solution as kind of like big brother watching them they usually start to like the solution because they get to input reasons for down right yeah and it's like they solved the problem in a way right they have a voice now right of of why the machine and so they're not always being blamed for everything it's it's kind of an interesting transition as you or they're being it. rewarded because yep. look you were able to make it work even though um it's giving us all a hard time correct correct how do people react when um you give them this data and then and then what happens so again it's and an, an it depends kind of an answer um, sure i'm sure it depends on the culture of the company and absolutely yeah so you know. some people don't believe it right away literally yeah. they'll look at the data and say this can't be right there's something wrong and, with the data and then do you tell them don't worry Everybody else is disappointed too in what they <laughs> yeah. find. Yeah, no, usually what we try to do, I mean, for us, the real key isn't necessarily to just sell them the solution. What we spend a lot of time with. So is, you guys actually do, you know, there are some other companies that do some things kind of like this. I, we interviewed another company a little while ago and they basically said, they tell the customer the data and then the customers are often really good at using that to come up with their own solutions. They don't want to get into that second business of telling them 
how to manage their business. That's, I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, you guys go that extra step, correct? Absolutely. It's, 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 we think that that's where our advantage is, is that, you know, because we're also a manufacturer, right? So we're not only just providing cutting tools, we have our own machine shops. So we understand not only mm-hmm. metal cutting, but we understand the manufacturing processes, right? And, and the value stream of the machine shop. So we can take it from here's the solution that will give you the insight, right? And, and oh, by the way, this solution was developed by a manufacturing company, right? Not a technology company. You know, we're a manufacturing company that has developed technology. Sure, sure. Which gives you credibility. Exactly. Gives us the credibility. Um, we use it in our own factories. Like I said, we spend a lot of time on what we call customer success management. And that is, you know, the tool itself won't do anything. All it will do is provide you data. You have to activate this solution into the culture of your organization in order to achieve right the real value proposition that this offers. And that's what we spend time with. We spend time with the customer on how do you change your daily work, right, using this tool. And it's not really about, oh, you got to find this screen and you can find this screen and here's how you turn it on. It's, you know, when you start your day, what do you do? Most, you know, operations managers, they start their day walking the shop floor, right, finding out what's going on. Sure. Here's how you should use this tool, right, to do your job today. It changes literally how you go about your job. And that's what we spend a lot of time with. And then, you know, when we do locate problems, right, we can identify problems. We can then bring suggestions on how to solve those problems. Yeah. Um, we do We do a couple of things, right? Some of it we'll do as part of our regular job of teaching the solution. But we also have a team of lean, what we call lean specialists, that we can bring okay. into the organization and basically run lean projects for them, right? Based on the data coming from these machines. Hey listeners, I just wanted to remind you that you can see videos of our episodes on YouTube and other social media. So if you want to see a cool tool or part that was described in the interview, or you just want to gaze upon my beautiful face, you can go to the Today's Machining World YouTube channel. You can also link directly to the videos from the episode show notes. And now, back to the show. I see. And so by using Lean, it's, you know, it's basically an industry standard. Yeah. You can always say, hey, this is the way. This is Lean. Right. right. Um, But you must get tremendous pushback, at least at first. I mean, look, obviously people have somewhat of an open mind. Paid to have their stuff monitored, but still for somebody else to come in a big corporation like Sandvik and tell them you need to do this and not the way you're doing it. I mean, do you have to play psychologists sometimes? Some people are more difficult than others, but I can just imagine how painful it must be. You know, how often do you get pushback versus, and if you tell me everybody, everybody just lays down and says, Oh, we'll do whatever you say. I'll say, I don't believe you. So I don't know. Give me some answer there. (laughs) So usually it depends on the role, right? Inside the customer, right? So each customer is going to have, right? So they've invited you in to provide this solution. They know they need help. um, And then they've also potentially invited you in to do some consulting work, right? So you'll get different reactions from different roles inside the in, inside each organization, right? So a sponsor of that project will almost always embrace you, 
a champion. You know, normally, like when we go to a customer, we we're pretty insistent that, you know, if you're going to bring this solution in, you need to have a, depending on the size of the company, right? An exact, you, know, you should have an executive sponsor and you should have a champion, somebody who's responsible to implement this into your way of working. What's the executive sponsor? They're, they're usually the ones that can kind of knock down obstacles, right? Roadblocks along the way, right? So they're, they're spreading the message from the top down. So would that often be the CEO or? It could be a CEO. It could be operations manager, right? Somebody of the, you know at, at that level, again, depending on the size of the company. Um, smaller companies could be the owner. But then you almost, we actually find the most important person actually is the champion. Somebody who's assigned to make sure that this tool is being utilized in the right way, that it gets spread throughout all the you know different parts of the organization and is set so up wait, what's utilize. the difference between what's the difference between the champion and the executor? So, so the executive sponsor generally is right high level, and their you know their responsibility is just really to budget the money for something. Yeah, they're they're budgeting the money, right? So they ultimately they own it. But at the same time, they're also pushing, right? They're, they're making sure that all the barriers are reduced, right? All of the obstacles are out of the way, right? So if, if somebody's resisting, sometimes they might need, right? Somebody at a senior level to say, hey, this is, this is important to make sure this works, right? Usually it's that in our own organization, we'll always have a, right, an executive sponsor and then we'll have something that we'll call a change manager who's driving the project or driving implementation of some new process or idea through the organization. Do you sometimes have people that go, oh, okay, this is great information. Thank you. We'll take it from here. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. And do you, is, is that something that you also are good with or do you, are you more like, hey, if you're going to do this, you really should do the full service? It depends on the customer and, sure. their, and their culture. So we have one particular customer their culture was already there, right? They're, they're, they're driven by lean and they needed a solution. They caught on very quickly what the solution would do mm-hmm. and they just yeah. went and implemented it, right? They, they made it happen. They had their own sponsor. They had their own right champion. And even though they interact with us, the time we spend with them is, is much less than the time we spend with other customers. You know, our normal yeah. process is, right, we do the installation, we do configuration, right? We work with them and we're probably on, you know, virtual calls with them or face-to-face once, twice a week, a couple times a week. You know, it's an ongoing process, right? We're checking in once a week. How's it going, right? Anything we need to help mm-hmm. you with. We can see this data, you know, most of our customers allow us access to their data because they know we can see things, right? That, and, and help guide them. Uh, but, you know, that only comes with them giving us access. Otherwise, we don't have access to their data. Um, but, okay. you know, so it does depend on the, right, on the kind of the attitude and the capabilities of the customer. That makes sense. Um, now, I know you're not going to give me a, a definite answer because I, you, you, one can't. But what are the prices of, yeah, I assume it, it really depends on how big the company is, how many issues it has. <laughs> what types of machines like what would be like the least bare bones plan and what would be like the most expensive thing can you even give me that yeah yeah, absolutely it's it's broken up into two categories right so you have some one-time charges right just to get set up almost like if you were 
before we go any further, I want to know a little bit technically how it works. This only works by the machines being connected via Ethernet. Yeah, so you'll have an Ethernet port on, on any modern, more modern machines, you're going to have an Ethernet port, right? So you can just plug in the Ethernet port. Older machines, if if they don't have an Ethernet port, you can add them. It, you know, adding adding a hardware adapter is not really that difficult. So, so like if it's a, like a Swiss machine from like 1999, you can still like put an Ethernet cable yeah, into you, that? Yeah, you should be able to add an adapter to it and still grab data from it. Okay, so it all goes into this hub. Is it in the cloud? Um, so the way I guess architecturally, you've got you've got your machines connected via Ethernet to your network, right? To your company network. Um, and companies will will set that up kind of however they want, right? Depending on their IT or OT departments. But essentially, you're you're taking data from the machine. It sends it to, you know, what we call a you know a factory gateway, right? So kind of a, a data aggregator. So all the data goes up to from all the machines to this aggregator. That aggregator takes the data, compresses it, right? It formulates it and puts it in, you know, into the form it needs. It, it compresses it, encrypts it, and then sends it to the cloud. Okay. And then your access to all of the tools, all of the dashboards, all of the reports, all of the ticketing systems comes through the cloud. So you just okay. basically can log in from anywhere you are in the world, just you know, with a web browser, you just log in. And now you have access to your site. So you have access to all the data really from anywhere, almost any device, right? Your phone, a tablet, you know, a PC or whatever it is. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. You've got this infrastructure put in. Now go back. What are the numbers? So installation and adapters are one-time charges. So installation is right around $1,000, right, for just the site setup. And that could be for um, for a shop with 200 machines versus a shop with 10 machines? Yeah, so that just sets up the site itself. Essentially, what it's setting up is the cloud site that okay. gives you access. And then you have a per-machine installation charge, and it's, it's roughly $60, right? So pretty small as far as the install charge itself. And then you have to deal with the adapters. This is another one of those that depends, depending on the machine, um, yeah. you you may need an MT Connect adapter or some sort of software adapter. Uh, um, MT Connect. And, and depending on the machine brand itself, like Akuma, as an example, you go directly to Akuma. You can download those adapters through their on-control app. Um, other manufacturers, machine tool manufacturers, you, you need to get the adapter from us. And then some of them you get from, or I'm sorry, from, from them. And some of them you get from us. An adapter is going to run you, to say, depending anywhere from $500 to $1,000. Right? All right. So nothing. It's negligible. It's, 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 it's not a significant cost. Okay. So that's the one time. Just get it set up. And then the service itself, it's a subscription-based service. Okay. So, so you're basically, you're not buying a piece of software. You're buying, basically, it's a... Um, software as a service platform, right? So you buy a subscription and it's the, the lowest price is roughly $900 per year per machine. And the highest price is right at a little, little less than $1,500 per year per machine. That sounds pretty cheap. It's pretty, in the big grand scheme of things, it's pretty reasonable. Um, do people push you back on that too? They go, Oh, really? Like $1,500 per machine. Um, yeah. I mean, you'll get, you'll get some pushback. Um, you know, it's, it's like everything, right? I mean, it's free to ask for a discount, you know, 
Gotcha. So, in, in you know, how we react to that probably has something to do with uh, how many machines we're talking about connecting and so forth. But Okay, so all this stuff is is relatively inexpensive, a thousand or fifteen hundred per machine. The setup is very cheap. You know, I mean, if you're a successful company, so where does it get more expensive? It doesn't. I mean, quite honestly, in my mind, it costs you money not to have it. Yeah. Um, you know, because because the ROI on on something like this is really you know where the real value is is in the in, in the return on investment. And so 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 since I've been working in this area, it's been about three years. We have yet to see a customer whose ROI was more than six months. Wow. There's a lot of low hanging fruit. All right. So what about the consulting part? Is that I mean, that's got to cost a lot of money. You have a lot of people involved, the high skilled management consultant folks. Is that where there'd be a considerable more cost? Um, so today, everything we've done up to this point has been we've been as part of our package, right? So we work really? with them to pr- provide the package. We have launched recently something that we call Core Plus PIP, which is the kind of the full scale um, lean of that, right? That that's connected to Machining Insight. So it's it's a bit of a different package, where we're, what we're really selling you is the is the project itself, not Machining Insights. We use Machining Insights as a tool to deliver that project, right? So and we will give you guarantees of cost savings as part of the purchase of that consulting service. Isn't it a little dangerous to, to give guarantees when you don't know how well these people are going to execute yeah, all of your we're, we're, coaching? We're, yeah, we're pretty sure. So the guarantees are on identified. So before you go into a project, you 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 confirm right with the customer on what you're guaranteeing. But generally it's identification of cost savings opportunities. They then have to make a decision on whether they proceed with implementing those cost savings. Because sometimes right. the cost savings might include a right some uh, an additional investment on their part, right? Whether it's in, in our tools or some, you know, and you need a new fixture or you need this option for your machine or you you know what I mean? So sometimes it might involve that. But when we do the calculation, we also remove the investment from the co- you know as part of the cost savings calculation, right? So we're not saying, oh, you're going to get a hundred thousand dollars worth of cost savings or five hundred thousand dollars, but you're going to have to invest a million. Right. I mean, that's part of the calculation, but it's it's a pretty structured program. Um, I would say it's 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 not unlike what you see with other major consulting companies. That's how they run their businesses. On yeah, I just expected it to be more expensive because it seems like consulting and coaching is pretty expensive. I mean, maybe it adds up. Um, yeah. You know, uh, with with all the the stuff. Does your cutting tool business? That's got to be helpful to help you find customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're in most every major machine shop, right? In the, in the country or in the world, right? I mean, in the so, world, yeah. so from a branding standpoint, right? We're, we're, we're very recognizable. Um, we're quite trusted in the industry. So people know who we are. They know we're delivering, you know, really powerful, you know, cutting tool solutions. And I would say that, Certainly, the early part of the uh, introduction of this solution, when people found out, oh, I didn't know, you, like you just said, I didn't know you guys had that. I'm going to try you guys, right? Because I trust you here, here, and here. Exactly. You have you you have credibility Correct. from one thing. Correct. So we find that quite a bit, actually. 
is, I didn't know you had it. I'm glad you do. Let's go ahead and move forward. Very interesting. Very interesting. Is this, Sandvik sees this as a business that could be as significant as the cutting tool business going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So not not just this particular product itself, but, yeah. you know, kind of working across the entire value stream, right? Because our our expertise for years, right, our, you know, our our knowledge base around metal cutting, you know, we're 75, 78 plus years of metal cutting experience is, is actually quite deep. Um, but, you know, we also know that not it's not all decisions being made in machining that are affecting how a process or how efficient a process is. Right? You need to move all the way back to design and planning, right? All the logistics. So we, we now have software that's supporting CAM programmers, for example, um, logistics, right? Specialist, you know, so we can, we can provide, we can provide software to help a CAM programmer select the right cutting tool, manage their digital twins, right? Manage all of their solid models for doing their programming. Um, you know, this is a, a solution that we call a tool, a core plus tool library. Um, we've got software to support the management of the cutting tools, right? So vending and tool logistics. So how how you manage your tool crib and, you know, what you're buying, you know, what your inventory is, right? Um, you know, obviously as a, as a tooling manufacturer, it's a pretty important, you know, it's a kind of a natural step for us to go in and, and deal with tooling logistics and management yeah. of, right? Management of a tool crib and, and you know, how you right. purchase and what you purchase on what day. and Right. I mean, that's, that's what I've heard before as well, you know, like just setting up your tools, having the right tools. I mean, it's, it's another simple thing that, you know, can be a game changer. Yeah. And um, all of these things connect right across the entire value stream. So. Absolutely. That's some really important stuff. I think it's consistent with the way the world is going as far as what we're paying for, you know? Um, Sure. Machines keep getting better and better, but in the end, it's how you use them and how you go about using your business. And today, like coaching is just the thing, right? Yeah, Um, exactly. You know, just, just a few questions. I like to, to ask some guests, what's something that you recently learned personally or, or something you, you read or saw that, that kind of struck a chord with you? Um, that's, a, that's actually a great question. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued with autonomous vehicles and, and not, so mu- not so much the, the vehicle itself, but the development of where I think we'll be with kind of the autonomous transportation system. Um, and, and why I think it's intriguing because it kind of brings back to what I think we're trying to do in, in machine shops. I think there's, I think you can draw a comparison to what we're trying to solve, you know, in, in the same way. All of that, that area, it's using the same technology that we'll need to use, you know? So I, I like to keep up with it because I see it as a little bit of a roadmap for where, you know, where we're headed in manufacturing. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com.